Last week we were looking at our attitudes towards spending. And over these last few weeks we've been looking at our attitudes to money and possessions and our attitude to work. And I know that it's generated quite a lot of discussion in life groups and some energetic discussion as well. And there's nothing like talking about money that brings out discussion amongst Christian people. And uh, as I was researching for today, I found this little story and it said this, when you go to a doctor for your annual checkup, he or she will often begin to poke, prod and press various places, asking this question, does this hurt? If you cry out in pain, one of two things has happened. Either the doctor has pushed too hard or more likely there's something wrong. And the doctor will say, we'd better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt when I press there. So when pastors preach on money and certain members cry out in discomfort, criticising the message and the messenger, either the pastor has pushed too hard or perhaps there's something wrong. In that case, I say, my friend, we're in need of the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt when I press there. Well, I don't know whether it's because I'm pressing too hard or whether it's because there's something hurt. But my prayer is that, you know, that as we look at this subject today, and and honestly, when it comes round to preach on, to teach on money and on giving, most pastors do not get really excited about preaching about money. Because most pastors fear, fear the reaction. They don't want to be accused of being manipulative or controlling or coercing or forceful. They don't, want to, they don't want to be accused and they don't want to upset people. But do you know what? I love you so much. I love you so much that I've committed myself to want to teach the truth as I see it from the Word of God. I have no problems teaching you about faith, about worship, about holiness, about evangelism, about God's love for you. So why would I shortchange you and not teach you what I believe is the truth from God's Word about money? I love you too much for that. And so we're going to look at this subject and I want to be open and honest about it with you this morning. And I know that as we talk through this, some of us will go, ouch. And it may be because I'm pressing too hard. Or it may be because there's something wrong in us that shouldn't react like that when we prodded by the word of God. Is that all right? They don't want to go now. I shouldn't have said that because there could have been an exodus, couldn't there? What does the Bible speak about giving? What does the Bible teach about our attitude to give? Actually, the Bible says really just two things. Number one, the Bible says we should be givers. Okay? That's it. Because actually, God is a giver. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, he, he gave. He gave his only son. He gave lovingly, he gave willingly, and he gave sacrificially. Sacrificially. Now, you can give without loving But you cannot love without giving. Let me say it again. You can give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. If you say you love God but you are not a giver, you cannot love without giving. The Bible says that God so loved me that he gave everything for me. And you know when we're givers we follow what Jesus said. Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, it's more blessed to give than receive. How many of you like receiving? I really do. It's great receive. If you don't, you should receive. As people, you should like receiving. But I tell you what, it's better to give than receive. So as good as it is to receive, and it is, it's even better to give. But the second thing the Bible says, which is what I want to spend the time on this morning, says we should be givers, but it says we should give with the right attitude. The right attitude. And what I've done is I've come up with five 
not so great attitudes and five world class attitudes in my opinion to giving not so great attitudes is to give when you feel like it see Matthew 6:21 says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also where your treasure is there your heart will be also now treasure is the object heart is the emotion You see, what we tend to think is that we give when we feel like it. So we tend to put the emotion before the object. So if I'm passionate about this, then I will give this to it. But Jesus flips it the other way around. He says, the emotion doesn't come first, the action does. Where your treasure is, that is the proof of where your heart is. Are you with me? See, if we only ever gave when we felt like it, would we apply that to every part of our life? So do I only pray when I feel like it? Do I only love when I feel like it? Do I only serve when I feel like it? Because if I do, then my emotion is ruling my life and my faith. But Jesus says, no, it's not that way around. You don't give when you feel like it. You give and your emotion follows. And out of your commitment and out of your obedience and out of your sacrifice and out of your gratitude, you give. And that proves where your treasure really is. It's what Jesus says. So it's not a great attitude to give when you feel like it. It's not a great attitude to give only when you can afford it. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, what runs out first for you? The money or the month? And you see, if we only ever give at the end of the month, and we think, well, I've got this left over. If that's our attitude, I want to suggest the Bible says we honour God with a different kind of attitude to that. Where we put giving to God first. First, not last. It's not a good attitude to give if you feel pressured or forced. 2 Corinthians 9, each man should give what he decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But it also says it's not a great attitude to give erratically or haphazardly what he has decided in his own mind. Not what he's just thought about on the moment, what he's already intentionally planned or decided. And it's not a great attitude to give just in order to get more back. I know some Christians who believe in some kind of theology that says, if I give God £10, he will give me £100. I want to say that's not biblical theology. It's lottery theology. Play the lottery. It's going to cost me a pound, but hey, if my numbers come in, I'll get back more. That's lottery theology. It's not biblical theology. Now, I'll show you later what we do receive back when we give. But the idea that I give in order to get back more from God is erroneous. It's not a great attitude to give. So what are world-class attitudes? How many of you like to be world-class? I want to be world-class when it comes to my faith. Here's five. To give because you're grateful. That's world-class. You know, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul writes a big passage about giving. And right at the end, in verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. It's like, I'm just so grateful to God for what he's blessed me with that I just want to give back to him. To give out of gratitude is world class. To give because you're obedient. Don't always feel grateful, do we? But we give because we're obedient as well as because we're grateful. This quote that I've put in the notes, or I may have done, I'm not sure. But I've used this quote before. It's so powerful. How we use our money, this guy says, demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, it proves our love more conclusively than depth of knowledge, length of prayers, or prominence of service. These things can be feigned, but the use of our possessions shows us up for what we actually are. That's ouch, isn't it? That's like the Dr. Prodding, where it hurts. Shows us up for what we actually are. 
All those other things, he says, can be found. You can't find this one. It's too important to you to find it. Another great world-class attitude is to give because you realise that you need to give. Let me ask you a question. Does God need your money? Does God feel more complete and more whole as an entity when he receives your money? So we give actually, not for God in that sense, because he doesn't do anything for God. We give because actually we need to give. See, for me personally, I am really scared about the power that money and possessions can have on my life. That's one of the motivations for me to consistently give. When we look through our finances, I know that the money that we give to God, we could do a lot with that. Our bank manager said to me before, you give a lot of money here. Why do you, do you know what I mean? We could do a lot with that. But I give consistently because I'm scared about the grip that money and possessions can get on my life. And listen to this. My need to give is always greater than the need that I give to. My need to give is always greater than the need that I give to. See, God said right in the beginning of the Ten Commandments, you put me first. There's no other God but me. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus also said, because you can't serve two gods. You can't serve me and money. And Joshua said to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. See, our giving is not about money. It's about lordship. If we don't give in a way that honours God, it isn't about money. It's about lordship. And it has a grip on us, but giving is a great way of releasing that grip so that we're free in our relationship with God. Another world-class attitude is to give consistently and intentionally. This means thoughtfully, prayerfully, in a disciplined way. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, Paul said that we should set aside an amount to give at the start of the week or the month or whenever. See, we're not haphazard with other things in our life, are we? We're not how many of you are haphazard with washing. I mean, do we wash when we feel like it? Do we sleep when we feel like it? Do we eat when we feel like it? Do we pay our bills when we... Don't answer that one. (laughs) But are we haphazard with those things? Why are we haphazard when it comes to giving? Because we do those things in an intentional, thought-through way, don't we? Because they're important and they matter. So why are we not like it with our giving? And finally, great world-class attitude, and we're going to put this into practice later, is to give cheerfully and willingly. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver there's this mom and this little kid and they're going to church and the mom says to the kid I've got two coins for you a pound coin and a 10p coin you can choose which one you put in the offering plate and you get to keep the other one so goes to church and the offering comes and goes and whatever and after church mom says um, just by the way which coin did you choose to put in the offering plate and the kid says I put the 10p in the offering plate he says oh little disappointed. Why was that? Because that preacher guy, he said, God loves a cheerful giver. And I was more cheerful putting 10p in and keeping the pound. But there is a link, there is a link between joy when we give and, the, and, and our attitude. And God says, you know, I love a cheerful giver. Not someone who feels pressure because they have to, but because they want to. Out of love and out of obedience and out of gratitude. So, In the time I've got left this morning, I want to look at some commonly asked questions when it comes to giving, okay? And the first one, I don't know whether people, of course they do, how much? That's what people commonly ask when it comes to giving, how much does God expect? And when people ask this question, I want to answer it with another question, why do you ask? Because if you're asking because you want to know how little can you get away with and keep God off your back, that's the wrong attitude to ask the question, isn't it? 
My attitude to this question is to look at the whole teaching of the Bible. And I've settled and come to the conclusion that the principle of tithes and offerings, as it's laid out in the Bible, the whole of the Bible, is as good a place as any to begin this debate. And I know that there are a lot of people around these days that say, oh, it's very Old Testament, and we're going to look at all that. And they don't almost like that whole kind of thing. I tell you, if you have found a better way of giving consistently and disciplined and honouring to God, I'd love to know about it. Because statistically, those Christians who don't tithe give less than those who do. And yet I know a lot of people who say, oh, oh, we're under grace now, whatever that means. But they give less under grace than they did under, quotes, law. Now, first let me clear something up. Sometimes people say the tithing was an Old Testament principle that came around in the time of the law, the Mosaic law under Moses. Wrong. Tithing is first mentioned pre the law. And it's in the book of Genesis when Abraham comes away from the victory in battle and he meets this priest called Melchizedek. And he meets this priest called Melchizedek. What a great name. And as they interact together, the Bible says they took bread and wine together and he gave him a tenth of all that he had. And then in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek as a priest after the order, or Jesus as the priest after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Melchizedek was a type or a shadow of Jesus. Perfect priest. So here's the bread and the wine, communion, and the giving and the surrender to God. And then I know that through the Old Testament that that whole principle got taken and got adapted and got contextualized. And I understand all of that. But a tithe is literally a percentage of our income that we give to God first. We say, that's yours, God. Now, all the rest of the money is yours as well. And then we're open to the leading of the Spirit for offerings over and above that. So our practice, my practice, our lesson is that we give 10% of our income to God through the local church. But the other 90% is God's as well, isn't it? Isn't it? To get our theology straight. It's all God's, isn't it? So then the adventure of listening to God and being responsive to God really begins. But that intentional discipline, giving to God, is powerful and important. And I know that some people say, oh yeah, but there's nothing about it in the New Testament. Again, wrong. In Matthew 23, verse 23, this is the only verse that Jesus talks about tithing. And people quote this in all kinds of ways. But when you read it, Matthew 23... Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy and faithfulness. Now listen, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus never said, don't tithe. In fact, it was so part of the Jewish culture, they didn't need to speak about it much. The only time he spoke about it was to confront the attitude. So it's no good just tithing, it's like you tick off a list. Look at your attitude with the rest of your life. And he says, don't neglect tithing, but do it with the right attitude and make sure your whole life is a surrender to God. Your whole life is surrendered to God. And if people say, well, Jesus only mentioned it once, he also only says you should be born again once as well. So let's be consistent with our thinking. Jesus only mentions you must be born again once in the New Testament. In fact, that's the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament is in the book of John. Now, if you've found another way of giving, that's great. Be blessed and be released, okay? That's fantastic. But for me, it seems so logical and so consistent with Scripture that it provides a great framework to work towards. Now, I know for some of us this morning, you're already giving like that. For you, the challenge is to move on beyond that. But for many of us, 
That's like a mountain. What I've just said, a 10% of my income to God, and then the rest, that's a mountain in front of us. I'll tell you what, do you know how you climb a mountain? One step at a time. I want to encourage you this morning. I don't want you to feel any coercion or manipulation or condemnation at all. But I'll tell you what, let's begin that journey towards being world-class givers. And it goes way beyond tithes, way beyond that. But for some of us, we need to take a step on that mountain towards consistent giving that honours God cheerfully and all the rest of it. And Alison and myself, we've, in our married life, have always adopted this principle that when we feel prompted to give over and above our tithe that we kind of listen to what God's saying to each other and we love the adventure of that and we've been blessed by that as other people have given to us and I, but I tell you what when we, ever we're given anything we love the thought of how can we pass some of this on to somebody else there's nothing like giving honestly you need it more than it needs you you really do second question what about giving when I'm in debt or financially tight this is difficult this is difficult there will be Christians that will have all kinds of views. My view on this may feel, seem a little fudgy to you, but I want to say I believe that the heart attitude is the key to this question. If you're in debt or you're financially tight, God above all else sees your heart. And right now, if you're in a situation where you can't give at the level that you'd like to give, that you want to give, but your attitude is you want to come out of debt as much as you can, that when you're in that place, you want it, I think God values that and God honours that. However... I also know people who are in debt who still tithe, and I think God honours that as well. And you might say, oh, but they're in debt, they shouldn't do that. They're, they're giving out of their indebtedness. But think about how you view your giving. Because if I'm in debt and I'm financially tight, and I say, well, I can't give right now, okay, but I still can go out three or four times a week, I can still have that treat there or that treat there, but I'll just hold back from God. Do you see what I mean? What we're doing is we're saying, well, I'm in debt. I'll still have that, and it will be God that actually, I'll just deal with you later. We have to be careful with that kind of attitude. Does that make sense? Now, if you are in debt, and you're cutting everything down that you can, the next thing you do is look at your giving. And if you are for a season, God honours that, and he sees your heart. He sees your heart. And if you are in that situation, I want you to be released, okay? Because God sees your heart. If your heart is that you want to be a giver in a way that honours God, God meets you. God sees that because God sees the heart. Where should I give is a commonly asked question. I get it to God, I think most people would say, but where? Where? Again, a little kid and a mom in church, and um, they're, they're sitting in church, and the, the, the communion comes around like it has done this morning. And by the way, if you didn't get any wine, okay, sorry we ran out there. Please come afterwards if you want to do that after we've finished, then that's fine. Uh, communion comes around and the little kid is about to take the bread and the wine and mom says you can't do that you're too old you're too young you're not old enough okay a little bit later the offering plate comes around mom nudges him says put your money in the plate he says if I'm too old if I'm not old enough to eat I don't pay <laughs> and actually that little story to me is a great prompter of where I should give to God I should give where I eat I should give where I am relationally joined primarily. Now, the New Testament is full of references to giving to the local church. And for me, my tithe, I believe passionately that my tithe should go to the local church. Not because I work for this church, but because this is where I eat. This is where I am primarily relationally joined. Now, I'm relationally joined in lots of places all around the world. Going to India this week, I'm relationally joined there. 
in Eastern Europe, in America, in South Africa, in Zambia, in the region. I'm re- relationally joined in lots of places, but my primarily, primary relational connectedness is with you guys. If I had to line up all my relationships and say, which are the most important to me? It's you. This is where I eat. This is where I feed. This is where I grow. This is where I am relationally joined. Why would I not want to give to God through the place where I am relationally joined? Now, many, many new people especially don't understand this. And I want to help you with this. You know, this church does what it does because of the giving of the people in this church. There's no benefactor out there other than God. Okay? And God chooses to release those resources through you and through me. So if we weren't giving to this church, this church would cease to be. Because this is God's plan A. Do you get that? So when you give to this church, you are giving to empower and enable this church to do what this church does. People like myself and Dan and Jane and others, we're released to spend time in the week, to pray and to study, to teach on a Sunday through the giving that you give. But this church also cannot do its ministries without the giving of the members. So if you value the youth work, if you value the kids work, if you want to commit to world mission, you can do it through this church. Because when you give to this church, that affects what we're doing in Zambia. That releases what we're doing in India. That releases what we're doing in Albania and in Bulgaria. And if you want to know that when I give, I want to give to God, I want to give it to where it counts. It can count when you're in a great church. And I give here, not just because I'm a member here, but because I love the vision of this church. And I want to support that with all my might. And I know a lot of Christians say, now my tithe is to put where I want to put it. And that can be more about control than it is about anything else. Because I tell you what, I want to give to other organisations as well. And I do. But that commitment to the local church where I eat and where I'm primarily joined relationally is absolutely vital. And I want to encourage you to think that through. You know, our vision for chapter 3, enlarging God's kingdom footprint in us, in the region and in the nations, is such an exciting vision. But I want to give to that. And I want to be a part. I want to carry ownership and take responsibility. That's a biblical thing to do. Number four. Is there anything in it for me? That's a legitimate question, actually. If you're asking that, not because you're saying, well, if there isn't, I ain't going to give. But if you're asking it because you genuinely want to know, I think there is something in it for you. See, when you give in this way, it draws your heart towards Christ. When you give in this way, it develops godly character in you. When you give this way, it allows you to invest in eternity. And it does produce a blessing in the giver. Not necessarily financially, but in other ways. The Bible said, when we sow, we should expect to reap. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When you give, God will give back to you. It may not be in money. But it will be in other ways. We will always reap a harvest when we sow. There's one final question I want us to think about, which came to me at the end as I was preparing this message. And it's a question that I don't think many people ask, including me, if I'm honest. The question is this, how much should I keep? See, most of us ask the question, how much should I give? I wonder how many of us have ever asked this question, how much should I keep? I heard of a life group this week, and, and whoever was leading it, threw in this other question, which was great, and said, if you had a million pounds, what would you do with it? Where would you give it? And I thought about that, and I thought, that's interesting, and I was talking to somebody about it, you know, and the question was, where would I give it, etc., and how much should I give away, I think was the question. I wonder if you ask the same group again, perhaps change the question, if I gave you a million pounds, 
Not how much should you give away, but how much should you keep? That would be an interesting question, wouldn't it? Because we tend to think, well, I've got a million pounds. Okay, I'm going to tie this. I'm going to give this money away. I'm going to give 100,000 away. But you've got 900,000 left. The question could be, how much should you keep? And then how much should you give away? That's a massive question. You see, to grow in the grace of giving is a progression. You go from I have to, to I need to, to I want to. You grow from just being sons and daughters where we're giving out of gratitude, to being servants where we're giving out of obedience, to being stewards where we're giving out of full surrender. And I want to grow in that. I've got to tell you, that's an area for me. I need to grow into that. How much should I keep? Because it's very easy when you do tithe to say, well, I tithe, that's that ticked off, and I get used to that, and the rest's all mine. I don't want to live like that. I want to start there, and I want to go on from there. And interestingly enough, I um, shared about this before, that John Wesley, who was a great man in the 1700s, and he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he was awesome in his attitude to money. He used to say this, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I think for us, two out of three ain't bad. Is that how we, we might look at it? But what he used to do was that in his first year as a uh, paid minister, if you like, he earned £30 a year. Okay, His living expenses were £28 a year. So he gave the other £2 away, which was, which was 7% he gave to God. In his second year, his income doubled to £60, but his living expenses he kept the same. So then he gave away 53% of his income that year. Towards the end of his ministry, his income had so increased, his living expenses only rose by £2. So he gave away, towards the end of his life, listen to this, 98% of his income. Isn't that awesome? Now, that's 1700s, and I know that's a different culture and different world, all right? But the principle is amazing, isn't it? Because I'll tell you what happens for most of us. As our income grows, so do our expenses. Isn't that right? And statistically, people who have more wealth give less to God than those who don't, statistically. Because there's something in this about reframing the questions, going from God, how much should I give, to God, how much should I keep? You know, I, in reading for this, I read of a story I'd never heard before of Mother Teresa. And um, it's always intimidating when you tell Mother Teresa stories because none of us really match up to that, do we? But she tells this story, not about her, but about other people, that they found this family in the slums of Calcutta who had so little food and the kids were malnourished and dying. And she and some of the sisters, some of the nuns, gathered some rice and some food together and they took it out and they gave it to this family. And as they gave it to the family, the mother of the family took the rice and immediately took, it, took half of it and walked out the door. Mother Teresa didn't know where she'd gone. About an hour later, she came back in. Mother Teresa said, where have you been? She said, thank you for what you've given us. We needed this. We were desperate. But we know that there's another family across the other end of the slum, and they're desperate too, and we took half and gave it to them. And Mother Teresa said, I wasn't only staggered by the fact that she would do that, but I was staggered by the fact that somebody who was so low and in such need knew enough of other people to know that they were in need too. See, I don't know about you, but when we get tight financially, when we get in trouble, we tend to contract, don't we? We tend to forget that there are other people. But what an amazing world-class attitude, isn't it? To say, thank you for blessing me with this. We're desperate, but I'll tell you what, I'll take half and give it to somebody else. That's awesome. So at a wedding yesterday, uh, Simon and Dee's wedding, and it reminded me of a, 
a wedding story I'd heard that of George Verwer. Many of you know George Verwer, the founder of Operation Mobilization, some OM people here this morning. And remember hearing years ago, George telling this story. He's quite a radical uh, missionary guy. And he got married in his early 20s. And at, at the wedding, a lot of the people that were there weren't Christians. They'd all brought gifts and presents. And George Verwer tells a story that he gets up at the end of the meal and says, thank you for all the gifts. And, but on our honeymoon, we're going to Mexico to feed the poor. And we're selling all these gifts, so thank you. And... Um, I don't know how that did from a diplomatic point of view for his family. But isn't it radical to say, do you know what? Not how much do I give, but how much should I keep? Thank you for all these great presents. Fantastic. I'm selling them and feeding the poor. Bye. And off he went with his wife in the back of a truck to Mexico on honeymoon to feed the poor. It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. And you know, giving folks is not primarily about our bank balance. It's about our heart. And I want to encourage you today. I owe it to you. I've spent years, okay, years dreading talking about giving in church. But I've come to the conclusion that I owe it to you because of discipleship and the position that God has put me in here in this church. The Bible says that for those who teach, more is required of. And I'm accountable for what I teach. And we as a team are accountable. And we owe it to you to talk about these issues because they're important. It's not about money primarily. It's about discipleship. It's about obedience. It's about lordship of Christ in our lives. And if you haven't found a way of consistently giving into the life of this church, if this is where you consider that you eat and where you're primarily linked relationally, you can do that. There's some information at the back. It's going to mean that you're going to have to think about it and get a pen out and work it out. And, you know, the music will finish and you'll have to do something. Okay? But that's what it's about. As we finish this morning, we're going to do something slightly differently. We're going to go African style this morning, okay? And um, in African churches, some of the ones I've been to, not all of them, I'm sure. Some of you who are African will tell me that's not like it in that. But in, in many of them, the offering is a joyful experience. It isn't something where a plate passes by and it's all very quiet and very, you know, all like that. It's actually an open, expressive Joyful experience. You're all diving for your wallets and your purses, aren't you? You know what's coming. So what we're going to do is that we're going to celebrate if the band could come back. And we're going to give joyfully and cheerfully. And instead of the plate coming round, there are plates here at the front. And we want you to come out. And you see, when the Bible says about bringing your whole tithe. I was talking with somebody about this who said, if you look at that word whole, you could say your worship, listen, your holiness, your obedience, your lifestyle, your evangelism. Your whole tithe. Bringing your whole bodies as an act, as an offering to God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Is that all right? Yeah. Now I know some of you give through standing order and so you haven't got anything to give. That's fine. Okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. But if you want to, then you can. But there are plates there, plates here, and I'll put a couple of plates here in front of the pulpit. And it was great at the nine o'clock. Alice was here from Nigeria, the only African, I think, at the nine o'clock. And she was dancing away down the front. And we all said, love to do that. Can't. Look stupid. Okay. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if you look stupid. If you look stupid and you get embarrassed, you don't die. It's not fatal. But God looks at your heart. And if this morning, and I want to encourage our African brothers and sisters, you need to lead us in this, okay? It isn't an African song, but it's a joyful song, okay? But you need to lead us in this and help us with this, okay? Because we're going to give joy for you this morning, okay? Let's stand together, shall we? Let's stand. Father, whoa, we're feeding back. Father, we thank you for the great gift of giving and the joy of giving. And Father, as we thank you this morning, 
as we celebrate the happy day that we're in because of your life and because of what you've done. God, I pray that as we give of our finance, as we move out of our places, as physically we respond this morning, God, we want, we're saying to you, we want our lives to be generous lives. We want our lives to be giving lives. Lord God, help us with our attitude, I pray. Cause us to rise up to be world-class givers for you. And God, I believe that the harvest, the harvest that's for us as a church will only be possible when we take responsibility in this area of giving. Father, we believe in the harvest so much that we're prepared to sow. We're prepared to sow that we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to become more and more like Christ. So Father, as we celebrate now and as we do this offering, God, I pray that you would set us free to be world-class givers in Jesus' name. Go for it. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. I'm also aware this morning that I'm out of breath. <laughs> so unfit, it's frightening. Give me a minute. I'm also aware that some of us are under pressure right now. Some of you are under pressure with your work. Either with redundancy or with the threat of that. And I want to pray into that as we finish this morning. Can we pray? Why don't we just lift our hands together just for a moment. God, we want to thank you. You're our God. You're our firm foundation. You're our refuge and our anchor. And God, sometimes life isn't easy, even though we love you. And God, sometimes we lose jobs or we fear losing jobs and we're under the pressure of that. And some of us in this room are under that pressure. Or work is slow. Money is slow coming in. Father, we want to affirm to you again, you are our God. Lord, I pray for financial breakthrough into those areas. God, we pray for provision for those people. Father, we pray for strength and confidence and trust and faith and peace. And Lord, as we work out how to be world-class givers when things are tight, God, give us your grace. Your grace is so amazing. Give us your grace, I pray. We commit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.